So is it pronounced Abadazad? Is that how we say it? That's that's how I've always said it. Um, Looks like it said that. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's anything else doesn't sound right. Like abated abadezad or can't or be that. Like that sounds worse. Abadazad has like a lyricalness to it. He did it in two thousand six. Yeah, I think was it with CrossGen originally. Yes, it began life as a cross-gen comic book before morphing into a three-book series published by Disney's Hyperion Books for Children. Yeah, I think it started with cross-gen. Cross-gen went out of business, and it survived that somehow. Amazing. Um, he's got, he's got yeah. too. He's got too much stuff. It is just amazing. Like he's even doing like a um, Edge of Spider Verse story with Dan Slot. He scripted a Dan Slot story in an upcoming anthology, probably like an eight-page story or something. But I love it. This guy is been working i mean like, he was like doing defender comics in the 70s right i mean this guy's been doing comics for he himself has been doing them for a long time and he's also worked with people of different generations which is kind of nice yeah and it's all good like his work uh, it's hard to find we'll find some bad stuff we'll yeah, find uh, some bad stuff that's the thing it. and then we're gonna really bring it to him <laughs> explain this panel comics <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. This is the only podcast hosted by two people who talk about a thing they love. And that thing they love is comic books. Uh, I'm one of the co-hosts and brother of the other co-hosts <laughs> and fan of comics and sort of kind of a comedian, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other one of all those things, Will Hines. Uh, so, Kevin, this is a special episode. What do we got in store here? We got a... Uh, we have a return guest, Will. We don't get a lot of those. People talk to us once and they, they're done with us. Yeah, they leave us. Um, but this is uh, we're having a return visit, and it's very exciting. It's uh, J.M. DiMatteis, who is the writer of Spider-Man comics, Justice League comics, uh, Moonshadow, uh, TV shows, books. Uh, we talked to him. I don't know. Uh, when we, was it a year ago? A year and a half ago, I think. A year and a half ago, we talked to him about uh, his favorite uh, an early favorite comic of his, a Silver Surfer issue, the debut of Mephisto, and it was just a delight. And we're having him back on where he's going to talk about his new line of books he's doing a Kickstarter for. And then we also pepper him with random questions about various topics in uh, a mishmash order like we are uh, always able to do. Just pepper people with questions without building towards anything in particular. Yeah, we subjected JM to our normal mishmash of poor planning, and uh, he was gracious and uh, good humored about it, like he always is. Um, yeah, so we're helping JM plug his new comics, spellboundcomics.com. Four new titles will come out at first, maybe more later, depending on how it goes. Um, and they look beautiful, and we get into the details of what those different titles are. And yeah, we, we, he, we he, he's working with the artists like Sean McManus, uh, Tom Mandrake, David Baldeon. And uh, Matthew Smith, who are all phenomenal artists. So it's it's a murderer's row of talent drawing these books by JM. And uh, they look great. There's preview pages up on spellboundcomics.com, as Will said. Yeah, and we, we're excited about these particular titles. But we're also just fans of JM in general. His past work, like Kevin said, I mean, he's just done incredible things. Uh, his work on Spider-Man. Uh, well, which has been for decades. Starting Craven's Last Hunt is the most famous one, but he also did an incredible run on the Spectacular Spider-Man and a recent Ben Riley series just came out, which I really liked. Um, so he's had a ton of work on Spidey. Um, Justice League International, which he did the dialogue for. 
is one of me and Kevin's favorite comic book runs ever. And Jam was responsible, I think, for a lot of the humor in that book and personality. Someday we will get to talk to him about that. We have not managed to get our attention on that too much, but we're really curious about his work on that. He's he's done work for TV shows like uh, the Justice League Unlimited series. I think he wrote some of. Yeah. Which is an incredible uh, series that that uh, all those episodes are amazing. So we could focus on one topic and get so much out of him and we yeah. don't do it. We're also just fans of his personality. He's just an affable person. He's enthusiastic. He's, uh, you know, that's not a requirement to be a good creative person. I personally don't think that somebody needs to be uh, a good diplomat of their work to create good work. But it sure is nice when the creator is that way. And JM and JM is someone who's easy to talk to. We do appreciate that. He's um He's on Twitter and he's got a nice he's got a nice Twitter presence where he'll talk about stuff he's enjoying and Twitter, stuff he's doing. Twitter is such a toxic environment sometimes and it scares away some creators and it's such a shame because it's so great that people like JM are on it and that we you can reach out to them or see what they're thinking about. And I'm glad that he hasn't been scared off of it yet. Yeah, he's he's a nice presence on there. So uh, we do appreciate just uh, JM the man. Um, and so we're supporting his work, both what he's done before, what he's going to do in the future and his personality. Uh, what, what'd you think of, we just finished our talk with him. What'd you think about it? Uh, it was fun, right? Yeah, it's great. I really loved talking to him just even about, uh, and I w- wish we could dig even deeper into it. Just his, since he teaches writing, I wanted to just dig even deeper into like his theories and, and how he crafts stories, which we didn't even touch on. Um, yeah. uh, uh next time, next time. Uh, but like that stuff is so cool. And we we touch on it a little bit, the idea of um, what shapes our tastes or do our tastes shape what we watch sort of thing. Yeah, we got into a little bit of your influences and when when you're open to them and how they affect you. The idea of themes recurring over somebody's work. Uh, I'm not going to put this probably exactly right, but he was saying how he believes that people are almost born with ideas and values and philosophies in them and you're going to discover what's already in you as you move through the universe um and so that they're very deeply ingrained i think i think is 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 part of the takeaway of that and Um, and i'm realizing as we're talking right now we didn't even bring up he's doing a new craven miniseries coming up like craven's first hunt or something like that we we gotta call we gotta call him up we gotta call him up and, and redo this interview it's crazy like the amount of stuff he keeps putting out and we talk about a lot of his current stuff and I just remembered, oh, that was announced pretty recently. That's the thing we could have asked him about. I mean, he probably couldn't tell us much about it, but uh, that's exciting too. We don't talk yeah. about that. So if you want to hear more about Craven's first hunt, uh, this is don't, not the podcast. This is not the podcast for you, except except for right now we're mentioning it. So like, um, yeah, it's nice. He's returning to probably his most famous comic book story, Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, it's interesting that he's returning to it in in a, in a fashion decades later. Um. I, I like that he does stuff like that, you know, like we'll never get another Watchmen story out of Alan Moore. Uh, I don't think, but, um, uh, and that's okay. The original Watchmen is still there and it's great, but it, it's nice when it, we, when you see an artist return and take another crack at something decades later to see, to see what they have to say about it. Yeah. I think there's something different also about returning to an IP like Spider-Man and, and dancing around the story you wrote before returning to something Watchmen more creator owned, even if it isn't creator owned uh and returning to it like there's there's spider-man's gonna be built on anyway let's have it be built on by the guy who's great yeah um well even though we didn't talk about any of these things we do talk about some (laughs) things uh with with jm and and we had a a lovely time doing it um 
And so I, uh, I hope you guys enjoy this interview, this conversation. You know, I think he's like a model citizen of, uh, of being a comic book creator and as famous uh, and successful as he is in the field, I think he deserves even more. So uh, I hope this little drop of our podcast can help add to his acclaim. He deserves it. Uh, I guess let's get into the interview. Yeah, let's see it. So, JM, I want you just kind of to launch in. like, Yeah, what's the high level, the universe of titles that you're creating? You know, as long, almost as long as I've been in the business, I've always gone back and forth between you know, Marvel DC work and creator own stuff, you know, going back to Moonshadow back in the 80s. And that's kind of helped keep me sane and balanced because I think if, if I just did, as much as I love those characters, if that's all I did, uh, I think it, my brain would have exploded a long time ago. So by, by being able to go off and do these other things and create my own worlds and my own characters, my own universes in different genres, you know, I've done autobiographical comics, I've done kids fantasy, I've done very kind of personal, spiritual, uh, cosmic, weird stuff, uh, surrealistic, metaphysical stuff, you know, everything. Yeah. And I've continued to do that through the years. And honestly, you know, through the years, uh, back in the days of like, say, Epic and Vertigo, you could you could do your creator own stuff, hold on to your rights, and actually get paid a decent wage to do it. Um, and the more time passed, though, you know, it may be easier to get the creator own stuff out there, but but the the financial rewards, you know, everyone sees um, a Walking Dead and goes, oh, see, if you do a creator own book, look what happens. But then you don't yeah. see the 10,000 other creator own books that may be really very good, but, you know, the, the creators didn't really make anything on them. Anyway, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I continue to come up with these ideas and Kickstarter always appealed to me because I like the idea, which the internet does in general. That's why we're here having this conversation, right? There's a wall between creator and audience that used to be there. It isn't there anymore. You guys would have had to have been broadcasters sitting in ABC mm -hmm. studios here in New York <laughs> you know, in order to do what you're doing now, but you don't have to. You stuck a mic and, and, a, and a computer in, in your house and you have, have a podcast or two or yeah. three. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's musicians, you know, you, you record your song, you put it out there, people find you, people find it. And and the Kickstarter thing is is one more wall for me between creator and audience that gets taken away. And so I, I've been playing with the idea of doing one for a long time. And the reason I didn't do one is because I just went, this is too much work. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, like, it just seems like so much work to put this thing together and run this thing and deal with the printing and the shipping and the promotion and blah, blah, blah. You know, I just like to create my stuff. Um, long story short, you know, I do these writing workshops periodically. And through one of my workshops, I met a great guy named David Baldy. David is a writer and producer with 20 years experience in TV. And uh, he took my workshop and we became friends and we got to talking and he said, and he basically said, I'd love to run a Kickstarter for you. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, that's <laughs> good. <clears throat> so well, let's talk about ideas. Well, I've always got ideas, you know, a bunch of things, especially during the pandemic, I was working on a couple of projects, you know, th these things develop. I've had projects that have developed over 20 or 25 years before they went out into the world. You know, sometimes you get the idea and it's out in 15 minutes. Sometimes it literally, I've had projects that have literally taken 25 years <laughs> from the inception to the time they finally got published. So I, I have ideas cooking around. I pitched him, uh, I think four different ideas. Uh, thinking we'd take one and we would do like a five, four or five issue miniseries. And that's what we would kickstart. And, and David had this great idea. He said, let's do all of them. 
it was his t- it was his TV brain working too because he said let's treat him like four pilot episodes. Okay. So we're doing four first issues of four different series in four different genres with four artists that I really really love. And uh, and we started up this imprint called Spellbound Comics to kind of cover all to cover all of them. So we've got a Spellbound website that will also be selling the material while we're doing the Kickstarter, and we'll be selling it after the Kickstarter is done. And and uh, I, I I got in touch with four artists whose work I really really love, and they signed on. We have wonderful colorists and letters. I mean, it's just and all of a sudden this little idea just took off and we, we we half jokingly started calling it the demultiverse you know and, and then we thought well that's a cool idea that's the way we'll promote it you know yeah multiverses are uh, hot right now <laughs> right 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 and it's a multiverse only because it's from the multiverse in my brain you know what <laughs> right. I mean? it's not like these are these aren't interlocking stories or anything you know and maybe in 10 years they could be if i decided i want but that's not what i'm doing this for right. i'm doing this to get these stories that all four of which means something to me out into the world and we're launching October 11th at noon Eastern time. And it's just really, really exciting. Um, so uh, I, I, I do have, have questions. questions. You want to go first? I want to go first. Oh. Yes, I'm the oldest. I will take my birthright to ask the question first. <laughs> right. So uh, the name Spellbound, is that your name? And what do you like about that name? Oh, uh, David came up with that name and, 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 and the image. If the image that he came up with, which I think is beautiful, is, the, is a kid under the covers with a flashlight reading a book. You know, oh, that feeling yeah. that you have that, that, you know, if comics are anything for me, it's like opening up the book and your sense of wonder is exploded. You know yeah. what I mean? And, yes. and I think all of us that love comics, that's the feeling when it's really, really working for me as a kid. That's certainly what it was. I'd lay on the floor and my mind would sink into these pages and go to other dimensions, you know? Any Love great it. book will do that. Any great book will do that. So, and we, so if I want to turn this into a plug, we hope that these books will leave you spellbound. You know? um, <laughs> right, right. I right. didn't think about that till just now. But <laughs> what the hell? Um, you know. So I okay. think it's a, it's a great, it's a great name. It's I, a great I, name. I love it too. Follow up question. And uh, then I will release my birthright and Kevin, you can ask one tough one. You kind of answered it, but I want to just hear you answer this directly. How are you going to break through to get people to pay attention to, Characters that haven't existed yet, because like you said, that's a challenge, right? Lots of great creator-owned stuff is out there, and it, it hasn't necessarily found its audience. The plan is just to promote it every way we can. To be perfectly honest, I'm doing like 16 different podcasts I bet. the next month, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what helps is that we have four different creative teams. You know, the, each of these artists has their own following that we can yeah. bring along with us because it's four books we're kind of getting four times the bang for our buck. If it was just, you know, two of us, me and one artist, and someone wasn't that into me or that artist, maybe they wouldn't be interested. But, oh, Tom Mandrake. I love Tom Mandrake. Oh, 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 you know, David Baldion. I love his stuff. I think that will help. And really, yep. in the end, as with anything, any any artistic endeavor, you do your best, you release it into the wild, and you pray for the best. And the yeah. truth of the matter is, we hope it's really successful. If it's not, here's the best thing. These books exist, and then they did before they didn't exist, and now they exist. I I agree. You know what I mean? Making stuff as its own end, and just just committing to finishing a project and letting it be what it is, warts and all, is is a a virtuous act. I say. Yes, I think so. And and you know, I was talking about this with somebody recently. You know, I'm lucky that I get paid to do this. But if I if I didn't get paid to do what I do, I'd be doing it anyway. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, like you said, you know, the, the, yeah. when I started in comics, it was like when I was working on my first scripts for DC, it was like I didn't even care that they paid me. It was like they're going to put this in a comic book. Oh my, <laughs> God. my name's going to be on it, you know. So there's a now. Obviously, we all want, we all want to succeed, and we want to make a living, and we want to pay the mortgage. And and I really do think we'll do well because we have such amazing creators on these books. So shall I talk about the individual books or you we'll want get, to let's get to those in a second. I want to let Kevin get a word in here. Okay. Sure. Uh, one of my questions is going to be about those creators. So uh, that's great. But first, so you describe these as pilots uh, or your partner describes them as pilot issues. What What's going to decide whether or not you do more of any specific one? Well, our hope is ultimately to do all of them, but what we're sure, doing with this particular endeavor is everyone who supports the Kickstarter uh, supports all four books. So there's going to be, you can buy all four books individually, or you can get a collection, which will have all four of them with extras. And I'm writing things about each individual story. And Tom DeFalco is writing an introduction. We'll have, you know, art in the back, you know, sketches and all these wonderful things. So it'll be a really nice package. But if you support either the, the collection or all four individual books, you will get to vote on which of these books will be the first to finish the series. So then the idea would be the next Kickstarter, will be so say uh they vote for one of them is called godsend say they vote for godsend our next kickstarter down the line will be to kickstart issues two through five of god godsend we'll finish that up and take it from there now you never know everyone might decide hey we like all four so maybe what we'll do is another anthology you know another we'll do all the second issues and put all those together it so the audience will get to participate in this which is i think a kind of a cool idea yeah um, so great. So let's, yeah, my next question was going to be, you'd mentioned Tom Mandrake, you'd mentioned yeah. uh, David Baldian, who you just worked with. On um, the ben ben Riley. Yeah. So that's a it, new connection you just made. Yeah, it is. I, I did. I had never even heard of David before we did Ben Riley, <laughs> And then working with him on that book, he is so, so, so talented. And we had such a great time. And he, he, uh, so let's talk about his book, you know, because he, he's an artist, he can do the big, big, superhero slam bang action and then if i turn around and give him a really quiet emotional scene that really requires acting on the page he can do that too so yeah, that, i noticed it, that on ben riley like he was good about the sort of tortured burdened ben riley feelings came yes, through in those exactly. little quiet moments which uh, exactly. i think you then, need because you're trying to distinguish him from peter in a lot of ways so yes. the emotions in that are really crucial Right. And with any good story, I mean, any good story, superhero story, it can't just be people going through brick walls. It has to be yeah. the human and emotional stuff to ground us. So uh, the, the the story that David is working on is, is the one that's closest to a traditional um, uh, superhero story, even though there's a twist in there where you realize, oh, it's not a traditional superhero story. It's not what we expected. It's called Any Man. The premise has to do with, uh, it, it takes place over the course of 50 years. All these stories are pretty broad in scope. So in my head, they can go on for years. I may not have plans for these that could go on through like three or four different five-issue miniseries to complete these stories. Uh, but in 1969, in the middle of New York, this portal opens and this being appears who claims that he is a survivor from an ancient civilization, Atlantis-like, but not Atlantis, you know, from like prehistory. Yeah. His civilization was destroyed by their own hubris. He's been sent into the future to help at this crisis point for humanity, to help humanity avoid the fate that uh, that his civilization met. Mm. And he becomes this global hero. And this goes on for the next 50 years. And he is, you know, he's the Superman. He's the Captain America. He's whatever icon you want to call him. But the truth is, 
the, that entire story is an absolute lie. <laughs> and there's a whole other thing going on in the story that I won't tell you because I want you to read the story. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's sort of the secret behind any man. You think it's I this traditional it. thing, and then no, that's not what's happening. And oh, um, I love it. Yeah, I so love liars. I like uh, I like I like twists like that. So yeah. it, reminds, oh, good. it reminds me of the Thunderbolts in a good way. Um, uh, okay, so that's one. Nice. Uh, working with, let's see, my old friend Sean McManus. Now Sean, Sean is, uh, I think, one of the single best, most underrated artists working in comics. He and I worked together years ago at DC on on a two year run of Doctor Fate. Right. That's one of my favorite things that I've ever done. And and you know a lot of guys, you know. You watch them over the years, they sort of hit a, hit a point in their career and they stay there. You don't see them evolving anymore. And Sean's one of those guys who just keeps getting better and better and better. And this is a project we, he and I have been talking about for, I pitched him like 10 or 12 years ago, probably. And this is what I was talking about before. At one point, we had it set up at a, at a company ready to go until we got the contracts and we saw that they wanted to have their fingers in all the media rights forever. You know what I mean? And we said, we, we can't sign this, you know, yeah, just the kind forever. of thing that, just a, and, just a, and, and, you know, at, literally at the last minute had to pull, pull the project back. And it happened a couple of times with this project. So, and I've been nurse and, you know, you go back and you go back and you rewrite it and you develop it some more and you do this and you do that. But finally, Sean was on board. He said, let's do it. And it's called Layla in the lands of after. And, and it's an all ages story. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with any of my the all ages series I've done, like Abadazad that I did with Mike Plug and the Stardust Kid that I did with Mike Plug and some I haven't read it, projects sounds, like that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I know Sean McManus from his Sandman work. I know. Yeah, that. he's done Sandman and worked on Swamp Thing with Alan Moore. He's done Ooh. so much stuff over the years. He's really, really an impeccable storyteller, and he draws like nobody's business. And his and his forte is this kind of fantasy. So. Starts in 1995, uh, uh, this young 13-year-old girl, Layla, is biking home from her friend's house, swept up in this ball of light, over the rainbow, through the looking glass, whatever you want to call it, she lands in this magical world. And she, looks, you know, she thinks it's like Oz, it's Wonderland. What? Well, it's not. It turns out that that light was the car that hit her. She's mm-hmm. dead. And this is the afterlife. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Well, that's a downer. Except she is determined. <laughs> <laughs> she is determined not to be dead, and she's going to find a way back. And that's Ooh. what the story is about. Oh, great. I yeah. love it. And, and, that's uh, a if fun, you can, real twist on like an Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the original idea for can't start, uh, first of all, I, as, as most people who are alive, I'm obsessed with death. You know, I've read so many books and I'm into like, you know, the spiritual and the mystical. So you read all these different books about people's visions of the afterlife. I came back and this is what I saw, whatever it was, you know. And for me, interestingly, you know, and they come back and you've got 10 different stories from 10 different people because we're humans with perceptions. And I don't think our our, our distorted perceptions change when we die. We get the afterlife that we're going to project. So it's sort of like, I always say it's like if... um Someone want to know what life on earth was like, and they call up somebody living in the slums of Mumbai, and they say, oh, I live in a tin shed, and I don't have enough food to eat, and I beg for my food. Oh, that's what life on earth is. And then you call Bill Gates, and he tells <laughs> you about his private plane and yeah. his billions. And, oh, that's life on earth. And I think it's the same thing with the afterla- afterlife. So I come with the idea that there are infinite lands in the afterlife. Uh, uh, created by by imagination, by perception, by our personal will, you know? So she's got to go through a lot of these different lands in order to find her way back, if she can make her way back. And what's the title of that one? 
uh, Layla in the Lands of After. And the mm. other the other place where this idea came from is I love The Wizard of Oz. I, I you know I went through read all the books with both my kids. Love the movie, but the thing that always bugged me in the movie was like she wakes up at the end, and it's a dream. Right. And as a kid, you know, that was not a dream. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happened? I thought, and this this same thing by 10, 12 years. Well, she got hit in the head really bad. Yeah. So she had like a near death experience is what I decided. Okay. So when she went to Oz, that was where I got the idea. Oh, it wasn't Oz. It was like an afterlife that her mind created. And this was her trying to get back to being alive, you know, and that, yeah. those, oh, that's so but all those things kind of came together to create this story in my head. And again, if you go if you go to spellbound.com, there's some sample art up there and there's information about all the stories and the creators. And you can see the beautiful art that these guys are doing. Um, so that's the second one. All right. Great. Number three. Third, third third, one, that was the third one, I think. You told no, us the no, we uh, said any, any man, man and Layla. And Layla. Okay, right, right. Yeah, yeah. We'd mentioned Tom Andrick, but we didn't right, talk about but, his title. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about that now. All right. So um third one is a supernatural western. Okay, so okay. I, I got I got to backpedal on this a little bit too. When I was a kid, I was talking to somebody about this recently. When I was like maybe six, seven years old, I'd say half the shows on television were westerns. Westerns were everywhere. I have pictures of myself, you know, four years old, like dressed like you know Roy Rogers with the cowboy hat and the suit, riding my hobby horse. You know, westerns were everywhere. We were all in the street with our with our Mattel Fanner fifties and our cap guns, you know, shooting each other. But as an adult, as the years passed, you know, I, I never had any particular interest in Westerns. So like 10 years ago, and this is the way stories tend to come to me. I was laying in bed one day. I woke up in the morning and my eyes are closed and I start to see this movie in my head. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. What's that? Ooh, it's a Western. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, it's a supernatural Western. Oh, and I run to the computer and I start to write all this stuff down. And I think all this Western stuff from my childhood has been percolating, you know, all those years. Plus, I had discovered, I'm a huge fan of old radio, and I had discovered the Gunsmoke radio show from the 50s, which is, if you, I don't know if you got, either of you guys are into old radio, but there's some great old radio <laughs> drama and comedy stuff out there. And Gunsmoke, which I never liked on television, was this fantastic radio show. So all this Western stuff percolated and suddenly took form with this supernatural Western, which I call, it's sort of like John Ford's The Searchers meets Lord of the Rings or Deadwood, you know, Deadwood meets Lord of the Rings, whichever one line you'd prefer. Yeah. And, and, um, and again, it's like, it's epic. It's a big story that I see going on for quite a while. You know, it's sort of, uh, you know, a, a, an epic on the, on the scale of Lord of the Rings. And so it's a Western, but it's supernatural. Well, who can do that? Well, Tom Mandrake, I've been a fan of his, uh, since I first saw his work on the Spectre years ago with John Ostrander. He can do the supernatural like nobody's business, but he's also done incredible work on Westerns. So he was like the perfect guy. And the work that he's done on this series is just, um, it's just sensational. It's just sensational. So and I'm very have, excited about this one. Very and you've never worked with Tom before? You know, he when when Giffen and I were doing Scooby Apocalypse, uh, Tom filled in on a few issues, and we did some, believe it or not, some some secret squirrel stories together okay. <laughs> as backups. But you know, neither you know, it wasn't Tom doing his Tom thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this one, he is it's it's full on Mandrake, you know. It's just the yeah. I'm looking had, at the art that's on the website. It looks like uh, haunted is like the emotion yes, I there uh, of, exactly, these, of these images. Exactly. And, and and the story, yeah, the story follows this this uh, Gabriel Wisdom who starts out as sort of a, a pampered son of a rich man who lives in upstate New York, but life takes him 
as his dreams begin to crash, takes him and his family further and further west where he meets a tragedy that sets off a series of events that brings the supernatural into his life. And I don't want to say anything else from there, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun story. And then, you know, these kind of historical things, you get to sort of dive in and, Oh, look at this, this happened then in 1862. And what about that? And how can we bring this in? And, you know, so it's really fun. It's really fun. And Tom is just, just killing it on that. Um, and the fourth one, this may be the idea that's been floating around in my head the longest out of anyone. I think it might be like 17, 18 years floating around. And this one, two years ago, in an earlier form, I almost had set up somewhere and, and did not like the deal. So you put it away, you revise it, you change it, you revise it, you change it, and you spend next thing you know, it's 17 years later, it's like a different story. So uh, Matthew Dow Smith's a wonderful artist who I've known for some years. We're, we're good friends, and we've been looking. We've worked on a couple of things together. We did a Star Trek story a couple of years ago together. We did a, a, a Batman story for DC a few years ago, but we wanted something big and juicy to sink our teeth into. And Matt was doing something interesting on Twitter. He was doing his own original stuff and putting out five pages a week on Twitter of new material, which I thought, that's really cool. So I pitched him Godsend. And and he read the he read the my my uh, treatment for it and he went oh uh, uh, let's do it so I started it actually started out I was writing it in five page chapters that we were going to do and put out via Twitter oh, wow. talk about taking away the wall between you know between yeah. uh, creator and audience but then this came along and I'd already written I'd already uh, like same thing with wisdom I'd written a whole chunk of wisdom I had the script ready before I ever met David Baldy and even discussed this Kickstarter same thing with Godsend I had like thirty five pages of script you know and a whole outline going way beyond that. So when David came along, we said, well, let's do this one too. And God send, my one-liner is uh, Jack Kirby meets Philip K. Dick meets The Matrix. <laughs> I like stories that play with questions of personal identity, who we are versus who we think we are, that play with questions of reality, what reality is versus what we think it is. And, and you know, I did a series years ago called The Life and Times of Savior 28 that looked at sort of the dark underbelly of the whole superhero mythos. Uh, and, and not that Godsend is, is, is more a Kirby God's book or a, or a Philip K. Dick kind of thing than it is a superhero. But it's the idea, though, that these thing, these characters also don't just represent something. They really do can, can represent the best in us. Not literally the best in us. Superman is really, as far as I'm concerned, a projection of the best in all of us. Yeah. So again, who we are versus who we think we are. And the we all think we're this... We walk around, not all, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of us walk around and we think we're little weak, vulnerable, mousy Clark Kent's. But, you know, what are we inside? Inside of us is Superman. And and I mean that more in a spiritual way, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with spiritual themes, and I really do believe that, in essence, we are all God. Um, Ooh, and, and that, you know, we are we are trapped within this perception of this 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 identity that's wrapped around us, but who are we really? And that's one of the questions that this series uh, explores. It, 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 it turned out to be a great metaphor for me to explore so many of my spiritual beliefs through these characters, but it's not a spiritual treatise. It's a big action adventure story. As it evolves, as I hope it will evolve, there will be a universe of new characters here. I have like, you know, there could be dozens and dozens and dozens of new characters that will grow out of this first issue. The first uh, it, issue... It, it makes sense. To, I mean, you know, when you were on our podcast before, you talked about a Silver Surfer issue. And I think you've always been drawn to the characters who are on a quest or at least the stories themselves are facing up against like questions of like, you know, what are we doing here? What is the purpose? Right. Exactly. Um, you know, even 
you know, the stories aren't telling you, the reader, what to think, but the the characters and the events are sort of bouncing around those questions. And yeah, put, put that them. all out there and let people come to their own conclusions when you're done. Yeah. yeah. The search for meaning, you know, I mean, I think if you wake up in the morning, anything you do really in the course of your day is you searching for meaning in your life, is you searching for your own personal identity. And so, you know, there's a search for psychological identity, there's a search for cosmic identity. There's so, But I think all of life really comes down to that search for meaning and what is it all about? And we all come up with different answers to make our lives work. Uh, so that 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 hopefully in a fun and cosmic and Kirby-esque kind of way uh, gets explored here. What's the Kirby part of it? I hear I hear Philip K. Dick in terms of who well, are Kirby, we? Or who Kirby, Kirby, and gods. Uh, you know, these. The, you know, this. So in the beginning of this story, we 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 meet a guy named Eric Small, who's a a, a junior high school teacher, middle aged guy, overweight, depressed, doesn't have a girlfriend. Eric you know. Small, by the way, that's a very Philip K. Dick character name. I feel like. I yes. feel like that's a guy who'd be in a, for real. I remember yeah. Joe, Joe Chip is the hero of Ubik. Right. Oh, Joe Chip. Dick. Right. That's right. Ubik. But I, I cannot tell you how many times I've read Ubik, my favorite Philip K. Dick book. I love it love too. that book. Yeah. Um, and, and so into this gray drab little world appears this being that the media calls God sent. No one knows where he came from, what the point of him is. Is he a force for good ultimately? Is he at fault? Is he here to destroy the world? We don't really know, but... Eric becomes obsessed with him. Uh, you know, it's sort of like Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters. I mean, he's really, really, really obsessed with him. And things take a turn one day when this seven-foot-tall turtle being with a man's head appears <laughs> in Eric's living room. <laughs> and then reality suddenly shifts and snaps. And I won't, uh, and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, that feels like almost like a spiritual sort of thing. I mean, I'm going to put this very clumsily because of my lack of education of uh, other uh, religions and philosophies, but it feels almost like Eastern, like this kind of animal hybrid shows up with like information from another realm. I mean, that that, that right. feels sort of parable-esque. And, and, there, and is a there is a turtle symbol that runs through several different traditions. It's the, and I think in Hinduism, it's the turtle that holds up the world. There's a turtle that the world sits upon its back. It's yeah. turtles all the way down. That's right. Um, so if you're a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, this is so good for you. <laughs> anyway, yeah. that's the overview of all four of those books. Yeah, I'm looking at spellboundcomics.com and I'm looking at the covers and man, they look impressive next to each other. And I like how they're color coded on this website. They, they really do look, it, it really communicates the message that we're covering a broad spectrum of story types. Yes, and we've also got four uh, four alternate covers by four very big name artists, three of which we cannot announce. But one is J. H. Williams the third, uh, who you know from Promethea and many and Batwoman and many other great things. Who just he did a, an alternate cover for Layla that is just out of this world. I mean, out his, of this world. Everybody you've mentioned is so talented. These covers do look good, but uh, he in particular, man, he's got a knack for showing you a drawing and it'll be like the most beautiful thing you've seen all years. Somewhere. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, this, this, the, the, the panels stuff. of Prometheus still lives in my brain. Just like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just astonishing, astonishing. So I was so happy, you know, if you're in the business long enough, you get to know a lot of people, you know, you love their work. They're a fan of your work. And so you can reach out. And he, he was, he was right there. He was right there to pitch in. And, yeah. Uh, that was sort of my thought when you're talking about this, uh, especially starting, starting with a, uh, David Baldian, it's like, oh, that's a connection you made recently. And then Sean yeah. McManus, that's a connection you made in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of just amazing. And like Matt Smith and Mandrake, who you didn't really work much with or at right. all with, uh, um, 
it's really amazing how creators such as yourself are able to like make these connections, especially in an industry where you're working home and you're working alone. You're not working next to them generally. You might talk to them on the phone and stuff, but it's really great that you've made these connections and have kept them and have built them up into this place where you can create these worlds and these works with them. Uh, you know, cause we're all fans. We're fans. Yeah. You know, we're, we, anyone that gets into this business, you know, you're somewhere inside you is still a 10 year old kid who loves this stuff. I yeah. always say when I'm working on a new project, the moment where it all gets exciting for me is when suddenly the artwork shows up in an email. And I'm like, I, I'm like 10 years old laying on the living room floor again, you know, uh, looking, at, <laughs> I feel looking like, at a comic book. I feel like I see that in your Twitter feed. When you get art for a new story, I'll usually see a tweet from you where you're like, I can't wait. I can't wait to see the rest of this. Or I'm so excited. I, I can oh, feel know, the emotion yeah, in you when it you is, see the art. And, and you hope you never lose that. And that's the thing that always, you know, whenever I do get a little uh, surly and cynical or whatever, that I, I, if I get in touch with that kid and remind myself what it is I'm doing. You know, it gets very exciting again. Or the other day, some of the lettering came in on, on one of the projects and it was like, it's it's drawn, it's colored, it's lettered. It's a comic book. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's, there's still that excitement. You know, there's still but that excitement. It's since, a comic book. Since you kind of touched on that a little bit, Surly and Cynical, I want to ask you something like, how, it, how do you uh, stay positive, I guess, having been in the career for a long time? Because I would imagine that a challenge is not to be jaded about like, I don't know, lots of things like things not going the way you want, not getting as much of something as you want this X project, not making as much money or getting the viewer. I mean, well, you know, I, when I, I tell my writing students, there's two things you need. You need a, a, a fierce will and a hard head <laughs> you know? because I don't care how successful you are. 40, 50% of what you do is about rejection. It just is in the creative arts. It doesn't matter. I remember, you know, years ago reading, uh, I was reading a Ray Bradbury collection. And this is Ray Bradbury when he was Ray Bradbury, the famous yes. Ray Bradbury. And he said, this story has never seen print because I wrote it for Playboy and they rejected it. And this one rejected and I'm thinking, well, if Ray Bradbury is still getting rejected, you know, yeah. <laughs> it never it never ends. You know, maybe there are a couple of people out there that are just so they light up like the sun and everyone just bows and whatever they say or do will get published or, or recorded or whatever. But for most right. of us, rejection is just part of the thing. And I always say, go and I, I, you know, metaphorically or sometimes literally go crawl under your desk, pound your head against the wall, shake your fist, curse the gods, then come out and create something new. And, well, and the thing that does it for me is just that. I may think on Monday, I'm done with this. I really don't want to do this anymore. I've done. I've been doing it for so long. And then Tuesday morning, I wake up with an idea. And the great thing about, you know, there's a, the Chinese concept of beginner's mind, where you approach something as if you've never done it before. And every story, every new story is like that. You know, I might have the, the skill set, the muscles from doing this for 40 years. But the reality is when you're sitting there with a blank page or computer screen as the case may be you're creating something from nothing every time and that's the challenge and that's terrifying and that's the magic and the wonder of it too um so uh just going back to these artists again um sure. and and so like it's just interesting to me I, I can't it's hard for me even to uh articulate it sometimes but you've worked on so many books and so many titles and a lot of times you are paired with an artist you're not picking these artists right. um what what makes it an artist that you click with that like, oh, I want to work with this person again? And what's the difference between that without naming names, of course, and an artist that you're like, oh, great, that, the book's done, uh, uh, but we didn't we didn't click or we didn't sync. And and, uh, and it's, 
it's exactly that. It's it's intangible. Oh, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. The same way it is between people. You know, um, you, I always just you walk into a party. Uh, we'll put it in a romantic sense. You see some beautiful woman across the room. Oh my God, I want to know her. And you go and you start to talk to her, and you just don't connect. You know, you know, you ever have, you know when you talk to people, it's like your words are shooting over their head, and yes. your words are shooting past you, and there's just nothing's happening. Yeah. And then you turn around and you bump into somebody else from the second the first word comes out of your mouth, you're clicking and connecting, you know? Um, and it's the same thing creatively. I have worked with certain artists where it's like first page, first panel, something magical happens. You can't explain it. The 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 flow, when I look at, you know, the artwork just just does something in my brain and and the right changes the writing and my writing changes their art and something grows that wasn't there before. And I have at other situations where I can look at say that's really nice artwork on this story that I wrote. And boy did we not click and is this story just laying there dead on the page. And it's not because the art isn't good and it's not because the writing isn't good. Well sometimes I'll take the blame sometimes the writing isn't good. <laughs> but but you know but I'm saying is there's I was thinking about a story and I can't say who the artist was I was thinking about a story that I did where just that happened and I and I said especially you know if you work especially with sometimes when you're working what's called marvel style where I will write a very detailed lengthy plot breaking down the story page by page panel by panel then you get the artwork back and you dialogue from that Okay. And some people you get the artwork back and it's like you put on ice skates and you're sailing across the ice just so smooth and you don't even have to think about it. And and I remember this one particular job and this was a very good artist, but dialoguing his art was like pulling teeth. There was something mm-hmm. in his style and it wasn't anything. It just didn't mesh with my brain. You know what I mean? It's a really subtle thing, you know, but, you know, if you're very visual, it just didn't click it kind of hurt my brain to dialogue from this guy's work and it showed in 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 my writing you know so it's 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 it really honest to god it comes down to you were talking about the beatles before we went on the air you said in the end it's just magic it's the same thing it comes down to their creative there is creative magic it's literally magic and i can't predict it you don't know who it's going to work with jumping uh and sorry well did you have something i did but i'll wait because mine might change the subject a little bit you go so jumping off that even like you uh, have you had stories that you've written where the story either didn't come out the way you wanted it to, or just like uh, it didn't work, and then you've had a chance to revisit, or you're like, "Well, I can do that again if I change it enough." Or uh, uh, have, especially thinking about this as you teach writing, you teach uh, creativity, you teach your imagination classes. Uh, it, it, once a story is out there, can you revisit it and kind of revamp it if it didn't work, or do you feel like it's best to move on and do something? Well, you know. You know- not the story literally, but you can certainly revisit the theme. You know, you can re- revisit the ideas, you know, because the truth is uh, you look through anybody's work and what you will see is themes that recur again and again and again. And maybe yeah. sometimes we attack that theme and we attack it clumsily. And then, you know, five years later, you, you know, you realize that you've been able to look at that again and deepen it. But like I said, the things we were talking about before, search for self, search for meaning. You'll find that in in so many of my stories, whether they're superhero oh, yeah. stories or or, what, or or personal stories, it doesn't matter. Those themes creep up. 
Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks in advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. Was revisiting Ben Riley part of that? I feel like doing Ben Riley this year because you had done him in the 90s. Uh, and I feel like the Ben Riley chapter pretty much gets criticized more than praised, not your work in particular, but the general decision to have Ben Riley exist as a character. The, clone, the whole Clone Saga thing, I mean, yeah. And then here you are tackled again this year. You know, maybe that's a it's like, okay, let me restate what I like about this character. Right. And well, the other interesting thing is, you know, so right, the Clone Saga came out in the 90s. And then, you know, first of all, it was it, it sold incredibly well, whatever the problems were with it. And there were many problems, but there was a lot of great stuff there too. And some of the problems were industry problems, not not story problems. Um, but it got this reputation. Yes. Uh, but then what happened was all the 12-year-old kids that were reading that stuff then became grown-ups, and that was their Spider-Man that they read. And you'll see so many elements of that have come back to the Marvel Universe. At the time, when it was over, they like dug a big hole, and they threw it all in there, and they wanted to bury it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they all came back from the grave. But in terms of revisiting a character like Ben, and I will plug and say that the collected edition just came out last month, I think, um, a few weeks ago, probably. Um, and And... It's like, and I and I really mean this, it's like meeting up with an old friend again that you haven't seen in years. You know, to yeah. go with that person that you bump into at the party and you become big, great pals and you share your lives and then you go your separate ways and it's 10 years later and you meet and it's like you pick it up as if, as if no time has passed. And you get to know these characters. I, I, I've said this and, and there's an element of truth to it, really true. Some of these characters I know better than I know my dearest friends because I know everything that's going on in their heads. Yeah. I know every corner of their psyche. So they really, so, you know, I think of Ben Riley and Peter Parker. These are like friends of mine. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to approach it that way. You have to believe in these characters a thousand percent in order to write them. And it's a weird chemistry that happens because while you're taking, a, a say, a pre-existing character and getting to know them as a friend, at the same time, you're pouring the most intimate parts of yourself into that character too. So every writer who writes that character is sort of creating a different version. My Ben is not going to be somebody else's because all of my obsessions and thoughts and feelings are being filtered through. This, and and, and it becomes this kind of like the writer-artist symbiosis. It becomes a symbiosis between writer and character. And it's a fascinating thing. Um, is uh, it what? My question, and then we'll jump around here a little bit. What's um, what are you taking in these days? Whether it's comics or anything, what movies, what TV show, what books, uh, what's what's going into uh, J.M. DeMatteis in terms of uh, because I feel like that has a lot to do with what artists create. It's like what's the diet going in? Yeah, sometimes that's a weird question. I feel like no, no, it's not a weird question at all. I think that diet, in some ways is more important when you're younger in terms of shaping you. Yeah. 
you know what I mean? Yes. It's yeah. like, I, I always use, I mean, yeah, the, the stuff you read when you're a teenager, you remember forever. Like you'll never, you'll never love a band as much as you love the bands that you love when you're 17. Exactly. Exactly. Or, or, or the writers that you fell in love with, uh, you know, uh, or the movies that imprinted on you and stayed in your consciousness forever. Um, but you know, I'm always reading, I'm always watching things. Uh, um, but, but I think it's like, I, I always use it as an example of the twilight zone. I'm a massive, massive twilight zone fan. And, yeah. and I think that I saw my first Twilight Zone episode when I was maybe five, when I probably shouldn't have seen it. <laughs> and I could tell you what episode it was too. And it imprinted on me. And the question that I, that, that, that I think about, and I, I wrote a whole essay about this on my blog once, um, the art that we respond to, I'm going to take your question and go off into a bigger space with it. If that's I love okay. it. The art that we respond to, why do we respond to it? Is it shaping us? Or do we come into life, each one of us as individuals, with kind of a set of core beliefs that we don't even realize consciously that we know, and we encounter art that resonates with that belief, and that's the art that we're attracted to. And it helps us to know, how do I put it? it, it the art helps us to know the things that we already know. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. So like, as a kid, I was drawn to the Twilight Zone. Well, my, my view of the universe is the universe is a living breathing, miraculous, magical thing that we can actually interact with. Well, that's what the Twilight Zone is about, really, in good and bad ways, you know? Um, did I respond to that as a kid? Be, did, it, did that create my worldview? Or did I respond to it because that's what I believed in my core? And I went, yes, that's the truth, as soon as I saw that. And, 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 whether, you know, and, and the writers that I've been drawn to, the writers that I love, you know, whether it's Bradbury or J.D. Salinger uh, or, or, or Vonnegut or whatever, so many other writers. Those are just the first three that popped into my head. But, you know, Bradbury, Bradbury's whole thing is, you know, even when he's writing a, quote, realistic story, he's peeling away the outer layers. And what you get, I mean, my favorite Bradbury book is Dandelion Wine. It's not a fantasy. It's not science fiction. It's a summer in the life of a kid. But the kid is seeing the world through eyes of wonder. Salinger, who I love so much, and his stories seem like, oh, they're very realistic. And it's very minute. And he's describing every detail. But what he's doing is going so deep into the detail that he he, he kind of pokes through to the Zen wonder of it all, you know? So yeah. I like I like I like stuff that either takes our everyday lives and translates it into fantasy, or you know, because I think it's the it's the best way to really capture what being alive is really about. Or, 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 or the so-called realistic stuff that burrows so deeply that you hit the fantastic when you when you crack through the earth, you know. I hope that made sense. I think it, it did. did. Uh, I, I re actually had written. I listened to our last interview with you, and a question I wrote down was, "Do you think uh, uh, what we watch shapes or what we consume shapes our opinions, or do you think?" Uh, oh, the you know, our opinions are opened up by finding those things that connect with it because of something you had said in the last oh, that's interview. So, so I'm, I'm glad you got into that. Uh, what do you think the answer is? Do you, if, if, you know, put, you know, uh, I, I think that, that I really believe that we, we come in with certain truths, you know, and, and I think those truths can be warped and twisted by our life experiences, you know, but I think we come in with a certain something with the essence of what I call our authentic selves when we come into this life. And I think our life experiences can either feed that authentic self or, or bash that authentic self over the head with a hammer, you know, or, 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 or pour layers of shit around us and it hardens. And then we wake up and we think that's who we are. I'm this guy that's made a shit and we have to spend 10 years 
peeling that off us to get to that authentic self again. Um, so I, I think I think it's about who we really, really are. And I, I at least That's, in my life, I can only speak for me. This may not be the truth for anyone else. Yeah. But I think the art that I respond to is the art that speaks to who I truly am, even if my conscious mind was not aware of who I truly was. You know, the same way that the, the Twilight Zone echoed that way for me. I think there's cool. something interesting too about the idea that like, especially if whatever, maybe you didn't find the material that really opened you up at a young age and then like you're a young adult or, or, or you know, 20s or 30s and you find a book or a story, uh, a show, uh, anything, a movie, and you all of a sudden you're like, what? where has this been my whole life? We've kind of all had moments like that. Yes. And it's like, oh, this is something I kind of always wished. And maybe it's an old movie and you're just like, oh, wow. I just hadn't, this hadn't come across me and it can change this type of stuff you're interested in all of a sudden. Yeah. And it make, kind of makes your head and your heart explode. You know, we're talking about Salinger and I remember being in my early twenties, I had read The Catcher in the Rye in high school and it was like, I read it in high school. It was okay. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. You know? And somehow I ended up picking up a copy of Franny and Zoe, stuck it on the shelf, probably picked it up two or three times, started to read it, didn't like it, shoved it back on the shelf. And I still remember, I must've been about 20. And one night coming home, I took it off the shelf. I started to read it and it was like, (laughs) and then I got to the end of that book and my consciousness just widened, you know? Yeah. And I had, I did a thing for a website, the name of which escapes me right now, but I had to write about five books that really meant something to me. Five books that widened my consciousness, you know, and one of them was Franny and Zoe. And it was like the same thing. I, I tried to read it two or three times. Didn't, didn't have any impact. The timing was right. Whatever that little clock is inside us. Yeah, the clock, the clock went bong, and that book was exactly what I needed in that moment. And Ubik was one of the books on that list too, since you mentioned Ubik earlier. Oh, really? God, what a, spe- yeah. a special book! Yeah, um, I think there's also something about books that yeah, when you're a kid and you have to read or whatever you're told to read, and then you can read them again for fun, and all of a sudden you like them a lot more. <laughs> that can yeah. sometimes happen yeah. where you're you're allowed to read it at your own pace and your own discovery versus exactly. like being told it's exactly. an important thing. Well, then there's stuff that we we read, like, you know, I remember I read David Copperfield in high school when I was like 15, and I, I really liked it, you know? Mm-hmm. But then years later, when I went back to it, when I was in my 20s, it was like, oh. And then last year, I read it again, and it was like, oh. You know? <laughs> and and it's it's great when you have those books that you can return, because some, some books you can't return to. Yeah. Some books you some books I'm even afraid to return to. Um, <laughs> You're afraid to because return I'm so to afraid I'll be dis- disappointed. You know, oh, okay. yeah, I want to yeah, keep yeah. that feeling that I had. Um, yeah. Whereas Dickens, I can go back to and reread these books, and and it just deepens and nourishes me. Um, Sometimes so I'll much. revisit stuff when I hear somebody I like to praise them. Like uh, I was, I was really into George Orwell when I was in high school and college, and. He was a huge Dickens fan. He was. He said he had something in an interview where he was like, Charles Dickens is like, yeah, there's nobody better than him. And at that time, I was like, Charles Dickens? Like, it, George Orwell is so, like, edgy and, like, terse and, like, bold. And I was like, Dickens is this rambling old man. That's, that's what I thought. But I was like, well, if George Orwell says he's the best, I'll listen to it. Or, like, I got into Bob Dylan because Bruce Springsteen said Bob Dylan was good. Interesting. Or that, that's what opened – that's what made me – go beyond the nasally voice and like listen to it or something like, you know, something like that'll happen. Or like uh, I love the Hernandez brothers who do the love and rockets comic books mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and interviews with them. They'll rave about like, you know, Don DiCarlo, Archie comics. They talk about Archie comics in the same tones. That they talk about Jack Kirby to them. It's like equally important. And I'm like, interesting Don DiCarlo. So, but it'll make me, I'll be like, well, what are they seeing? I, I at least want to see what they're seeing, even if it's not for me. 
And then sometimes I'll revisit things because of that. Phil K. Dick I got into because of Jonathan Leatham, uh, an author um, who, you know, who's done stuff modern day, like a modern day sci-fi guy. He wrote he wrote a book called As She Crawled Across the Table that I really liked. And he's like, oh, Philip K. And of course, I'd heard the name Philip K. Dick a million times, but it was this author whose book I was liking that was like, he's my guy that made me go back and do it. Philip K. Dick is like Kirby in that the impact, people don't realize the impact he's had on popular culture. So much of like the the science fiction fantasy concepts that are out there right now, you know, you go back to his work, no one was doing it back then except him. You know, the whole matrixy kind of thing, the whole, um, you know, alternate realities, the whole, this is a, this is a program, this is a hologram, this is, you know, yeah. what, that was all there. That was all there then. And now that's just like, it's everywhere. You turn on your TV and there's five sh- different shows dealing with these themes he's that a, Dick was dealing with and no one, no one else was. He's an interesting guy. I think like he's both underrated and overrated. I mean, he's tremendous. I don't mean anything bad about Philip K. Dick, but he also wrote fast. He wrote a yeah. lot. So like a lot, there's varying quality of his Absolutely. books. And even Absolutely. in his good books, there's an unevenness to them. That's part of the charm and part of what makes them sort of authentic. But if you are told he is the master and then you pick up one of his like real weird ones, you're like, this guy's the master. And um, uh, you, you have to read enough of him to kind of, I think, appreciate his power. Right. right. Um, no, I agree. With you. It's almost like. he His it, books definitely it, seem to be improvised. I feel like he's <sighs> he doesn't know how they're going to end when he starts, I think. Yeah, and that's yeah. part of what makes him good and part of what makes the endings kind of like this is the ending. But uh, right. No, I hear you. Absolutely. You know, uh, but when it works like a oh, book yeah. like you, I mean, it's just like, oh, my God, it's tremendous. Um, but it's almost like with Dick. If you want to analyze the writing, it's gonna sometimes it's gonna be really head scratching. You think, is this guy even a good writer? <laughs> yeah. And then, but but it's more than just analyzing a sentence, it's the cumulative effect of the story. Right. It's right. almost like with a with a great Philip K. Dick book, it's like you're not reading a book, you're you're actually kind of taking a tab of acid or something, you know? And it does yeah. something to your head. You finish Ubik and I'm like, I want to just touch that wall to make sure it's actually solid right now. You know? Yeah. I mean, a, a phrase that you hear just with works of art is they have to cast a spell on you and like, yes, whatever it is like, you know, Ray Bradbury could make a kid's summer in the real world feel fantastical in a way, yes. you know, the fantasy that's in everyday life or whatever yes. he can cast that spell uh, and that's a different spell than Neil Gaiman's casting when he right. when he writes a comic book story or whatever. And um, so it doesn't. Yes, yeah, some people do it with their wordsmithing. Some do it with their ideas. Uh, they they got to get there somehow. Uh, Philip Philip Dick certainly could do it. You so know, it's like with a song. With you know, sometimes you analyze a song maybe and go, well, that's not such a great melody. And what's so great about the lyrics? I don't know. But the whole song together. There's something happening there that's larger than the melody and the lyrics. There's something else that's vibrating through your consciousness. I think that's kind of what the way the way the way Philip K. Dick is. There's something bigger at work than 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 if you're just sort of analyzing sentence structure or you know the plot or whatever. There's something else going on there in his best books. And, and talking about all these authors, you just released a book, right? You just released a prose a uh, prose novella. novella. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it um, it's it's called The Excavator. Thank you for bringing that up. No, no um, problem. There's a wonderful website. It's been around, I guess, maybe a couple of years now called Neotext, neotextcorp.com. 
It's run by these two TV and movie producers, um, and they are developing all kinds of new prose and nonfiction. And uh, one of the guys, John Schoenfelder, is a comic book fan, and they approached me about writing something. And I hadn't done any prose in about 10 years. The last thing I did was a novel called Imagine Alice that came out like in more than 10 years, 2010 probably. And so it was just a blast to be working in prose again. It's a supernatural thriller. And it turned out really, really well. And you can get it either as an ebook or as an actual physical book, if you remember those things, <laughs> like those. That oh, the shelf. What, a, what, a, what a novelty. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, one of, the th- one of the things they do with all, all the fiction is they get, like, they get like 10 illustrations for each novella. So a friend of mine, a wonderful Greek artist named Vasilis Gogzilis, uh, did 10 amazing illustrations for the story. Oh, that's and, great. And it's a piece of work I'm very, very proud of. The ebook is literally a buck. So... <laughs> You know, it, it it is not expensive. the The physical book is more expensive because you're also getting these beautiful illustrations, and it's yeah. a physical. Thing. I, I love I love prose books that have spot illustrations. It's so great. Yeah, yeah, and these are like full color paintings. Ooh. You know, so it's really nice stuff. I love you know, it. We're talking about Dickens. All his stuff was illustrated. You know. Yeah. Um. So it's it's a. Uh, I'll I'll just give you the premise of the story. So we're talking about Twilight Zone. It kind of veers off into Twilight Zone territory, and also veers off into all the themes that we've been talking about. So a woman wakes up one morning, she's in bed, you know, with her husband, she wakes up in the morning and uh, she looks at the end of the bed and there's a kid standing there. You can see the kid, she's kind of half asleep. She wonders if she's just imagining this, you know, seeing this thing, but no, wait a minute. There's a kid standing at the end of my bed. I- I've never seen it. What, what? And this kid starts to crawl into the bed with her. And it's this horrifying moment, you know, and she takes this kid and she just throws the kid off her and throws him out of bed. The husband wakes up, what's going on? And the kid's on the floor crying and turns to the husband and said, Daddy, why did mommy do that? So this is her son. But the problem is she has absolutely no memory that he ever existed. Mm-hmm. She has a daughter. She remembers that her daughter exists. She remembers every other piece of her life. But her son's existence has been erased. They take her to the hospital. Does she have a stroke? What's going on? It doesn't seem to be anything wrong. They go back home. She gets a text basically saying, you will give us $250,000 for the return of the memory of your son. And if you don't, we're going to take your daughter next. And that's where the story branches off. And it goes off from there into some other very, very different places. And uh, it's a story I'm really, really proud of. So I hope that anyone that has read and enjoyed my work will uh, invest either their $1 or their $17, whatever it may be, (laughs) and check the book out. Even that's got a little Philip K. Dick-ness to it yes, there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I said, from this kid that grew up watching The Twilight Zone, this is the way I see the universe. You know, it's all these things. That's not fantasy to me. This is all reality. But it's also got the J.M.D. Mateus emotional hook that I'm used to. The, the the removal of a son's memories is different than just like, I can't remember my job or I, right, I, I exactly. have the superpower of flight. Like, yeah. that's the J.M.D. Mateus <laughs> Uh, I'm, you got to have the it. emotional hook. I don't Pace. care how brilliant the concept is or how amazing your plot is. If you are not like throwing a hook into my heart and pulling me along by the heart, then it ain't going to work. Uh, uh, your the the Kickstarter books, the um, the Spellbound books, are they av- yes. available both digitally and in print? They will not be initially. They will not be available digitally, at least not initially. Maybe somewhere down the line, but sure, right now these are physical books. You support the Kickstarter, or you go to Spellbound, you know, and you'll you'll get the physical books. Yeah, I think no, uh, no, nothing digital right now. As, frankly, right to, now, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I just wanted to stress that idea too because I think we didn't mention that is that people can either go to the Kickstarter and fund it when it starts on October 11th. I think you said. 
Yes. Or, or they can buy it through Spellbound. So there's right. two options. You can options go to Spellbound right now and actually well, sign it's, up for it's news spellboundcomics.com. Let me yeah, just say spellboundcomics.com. Thank you for that because I've yeah. made that mistake too. <laughs> uh, and yeah. um yeah, I'm looking at it. I I just entered my email to be notified when the Kickstarter starts. I I like, you know, like you were saying at the beginning of this and I guess we could start to wrap this up. Um I do I, one of the great things about modern technology is how much it democratizes the creative process. You can yes. go right to the audience. The audience can go right to you. Here we are, your fans. We've been fans of yours our whole lives and um we get to talk to you right now. That's a huge benefit for us. Also the benefit for you, you get to reach out to your fans and say, "Hey, I want to create these stories and rather than wait for one of the big companies to like these particular stories with your support, we can do them right now. Uh, so I think that's really exciting. I I, I love that. It is. Part it is. It. I mean, that's, that, that is, that's why when I started, I said, this is one of the most exciting things I've ever done. And it really, really is, you know, to get, <clears throat> to get four, four new ideas out there at the same time, you know, to, to be able to go directly to the audience in this way is really an exciting thing. Also, it sounds like you picked the artist. You know, you thought about who you could reach out to, uh, and I do think a lot of the um, a lot of great and talented people, uh, and I and I, um, you know, are waiting for the phone to ring, and when the phone rings and asks them to do something, they're ready to do it. And so, for you and your partner David to be the people who are like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna also be producers here. We're gonna get this project rolling. We're going to get somebody to do the website that promotes it. We're going to figure out the Kickstarter. Probably, I imagine David is the guy doing a lot of this. But I admire people who just make projects happen. You know, yeah. the, uh, Stan Lee is someone who's both the most overrated and underrated uh, creator in comics history, depending on who you talk to at what time. Uh, but he took initiative. He made things happen. He got yeah. people on the phone. He connected them. And he had a real talent for who would be good for this job. And uh throughout his career, he was really good at measuring up somebody's talent and knowing what they were a good fit for. You're absolutely right. And, and yeah. I, and I, you know, I feel like if he called himself an editor instead of a writer, there's, there's nobody who would have questioned his ability as the producer editor and one of the all time great ones. And you're absolutely right. And one of the fun things of this project has been working with David, you know, as, as, as creative partners on this thing, you know, yeah. and, and well, good um, for, good for him for having the guts to reach out to his teacher and suggest this good for you for recognizing what he could bring to the table that way. He's doing the non-glamorous part of it, but yeah, it's, but a, he, it's and, a crucial you know, because, part Because it. David is a writer with 20 years experience, you know, he's someone that I trust. So, you know, yeah. I can bounce ideas off him. We can look at the artwork together and say, what do you think about this? Do you think this needs, you know what I mean? So he's, he's, he's helping with creative decisions and he's taking care of business things. And we have a great back and forth going. We've reached the point where like, you know, we're both kind of coming up with the same notes on things because our, our minds have melded a little bit at this point. Uh, it's probably also because you guys are both setting your egos aside and just being like, what's right for the project here. And I think that's, that's commendable too. It sounds like there's yeah. good collaboration happening. And it, it is, I, it I is love, on all on all that. levels with the artists, with David, and we have, like I said, we have a, a wonderful colorist. We have Taylor Esposito lettering a lot of this stuff, who's a, a, a lettered for DC and lots of other companies. And and I'm forgetting people. Ajan Dursema, who is Tom Mandrake's wife, is coloring wisdom, um, and on and on and on. Love it. it. It's amazing how much art is 
uh, collaborative at the end of the day. You th- like, I don't know, as a kid, you think of art as like a lonely painter in a studio creating masterpieces or whatever, but so much, whether it's movies, TVs, comic books, books, uh, you have editors, you've got uh, publishers, you've got artists, and you've got to like work with all those people and be able to work with those people. And uh, the fact that you've had such a, a great career working with such amazing people shows that I think you must be an easy and strong collaborator both at the same time to keep producing such quality work? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah, hope so. You must. <laughs> I, you know, all I can say is I try. I'm sure you could find people that have worked with me that would go, oh, God, I don't ever want to work with that guy. <laughs> um, and, and other people that have loved working with me and vice versa. You know, it's the same thing that we talked about. It's chemistry. You know, it's like, yeah, I can pick, I could pick my favorite editor. I'm not saying anyone by name that I've ever worked with and say, God, I loved working with him or I loved working with her. And then you'll find someone else who literally come along and say, it's the worst editor in the business. Sure, I sure. hated yeah. working with her. <laughs> because whatever that click is, it didn't click. So, you know, you're, 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 you're at the mercy of cosmic chemistry with all this stuff. Um, all right. So let's, I think Kevin, I think we can wrap that up. What do you think? Do we, do we miss any of our big questions? Uh, no, I, I mean, I feel like I could talk to you. Uh, you're an easy conversationalist, Jim. I feel like I could talk to you for hours about anything. Yeah, I like talking uh, to you guys too, and I'd be happy to come back anytime. Ooh, we'll take I mean, you up on well, that. Well, there you go. Uh, because I feel like we've gone. I just want to say, I'll be. Go, you go ahead. No, go no, ahead. no. I was going to say, we've gone through two podcasts and haven't even touched on Justice League International, one of our favorite books, right. uh, and uh, a lot of other stuff that you've done. And so it's very funny that we keep talking to you and we, cover so many topics and we leave and go, Oh, we didn't do this. We didn't do that. Kevin, right. Kevin and I are both fans of justice league international. Kevin in particular is a major super fan. And I think it is, we're going to have to bring you back to talk about that or it's going to eat at him forever because like, okay. uh, we, we, we love those books and we want to hear about the behind the scenes collaboration and stuff. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. And of course we didn't even uh, officially talk about the Beatles. We talked about them before. We talked about them before we got, I'll get you back on the Beatles one for sure. Um, I would, yeah, I would come back to that anytime too, just for the excuse to talk about the Beatles for now. (laughs) Your John Lennon story is one of my all time favorite stories. And I, and I like how you talk about the Beatles too. So it'd be, it'd be great to have you on that. That's great. And I'll just say to everybody, we'll say it in our outro too. spellbound comics. Uh, I these the art looks great. These particular titles look great. They cover a wide range of emotions and tones. It looks like we have four amazing artists working uh, with JM. But also, I just love that you're doing it and that you are mixing up working for the established characters like Marvel and DC and also doing your own stuff. I like you doing pro stuff and comics and uh, and I'm sure you're pitching TV ideas uh, you're, you, you're vibrant and you got your curiosity going. And, uh, I think that energy comes through. So I like both the projects you're doing and that you are doing it. So I'm, I'm a fan of this Thank every you. which way. Thank you. I feel exactly the same way. Just, you know, what we said before, just, just the doing, just the creating yep. is the, is the real reward here. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan. I just, I was taught on one of our, on our last two episodes ago on this podcast, I was talking about the George Miller movie, 3000 years of longing, which uh, just came out with, um, Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. And I was telling Kevin how amazing it is to me that George Miller does Mad Max Fury Road, one of the best action movies of all time, in my opinion, an incredible epic success, but a, but a, but a nonverbal, huge things moving special effects masterpiece. And then 3000 Years of Longing is a genie talking to a middle-aged lonely woman in a hotel about his life. And they're both great. And, uh, and I just love that George Miller, what he's in his seventies, and he's still tackling new energies and new tones, and obviously just because of the love of the project, 
And um, it, his energy, George Miller's, comes through in the project. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, because I think, you know, when you're creative, you're creative. And it doesn't matter if you're the 10-year-old kid on the floor drawing drawing pictures as I was, you know, when I when I was a kid, I spent hours on the floor drawing, drawing. Or, or if you're 110, if you still have that creative urge, in yeah. that moment when you were creating, there is no such thing as age or time and space. There's just the creative act. It's it's actually a spiritual act, I, I consider it really. Um and it's and it's it keeps you young. And it's very impressive to be able to do stuff uh, you know, as varied as like Abadazad to you know Justice League or Spider-Man to Moonshadow. I mean, that's a wide range of types of books and qualities of books and and, uh, and genres and audiences that you've targeted and hit. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we thank love you. it. Although I think in every single one of those, some character at some point thinks like, but what am I? What am I really? <laughs> so I think we can find some similarities. We can find yes, some similarities I think, I think in those. You- could somewhere in the in that's those there's those themes we were talking about yeah yeah uh, all right thank you jm thanks for, for, for joining pleasure. us we absolutely are going to take you up on trying to get you back on this again and i'll rope you into the beatles podcast again we're just going to exploit you for content for our whole lives but i hope we can return okay. the favor and get some people to look at spellbound comics that would be great that would be great thank you All right. And there it was. Uh, yeah, you're right. We didn't ask him about any of this stuff that we should have. We forgot to ask him about his writing classes, about Craven's first hunt. Um, we mentioned Justice League International, but we didn't get into it. So he said he's willing to come back. And even if he's just being nice, we're going to force him. We're going to we're going to hold him to that. And we're going to we're going to tackle all this stuff. Plus yeah, probably I mean, the 10 other things that he's doing by the time we talk to him. Yeah, by that point, he'll be doing 10 new things. And we'll just talk about those things probably. Um, if you're listening to this and you like Jam's work, please check out spellboundcomics.com. Uh, we'd love it if some of our listeners subscribed uh, or kickstarted or funded, I don't know, bought. Whatever whatever the verb is, yeah. The works are. Uh, I, I brought up his novella. I haven't read it yet, but I'm very excited to read that. I think it's uh, – I didn't know he had written other pro stuff, I'll admit, right here. But I'd seen him uh, talking about The Excavator, and when he talked to us about it on this podcast, I was like, that sounds like a great story. It sounds scary. I don't know if I can handle it, but uh, it sounds good. Yeah, so um, uh, as we said in the interview, we I'm just impressed at his energy and his um, – his enthusiasm for trying different projects in different ways. So let's 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 support this and uh, let's let's get some of the stuff. And you can email us and tell us what questions we should have asked JM so that maybe we can do a better job next time. Yeah, you can email us at <laughs> screw it screw it comics at gmail. We're on Twitter at screw it comics mm-hmm. and Instagram at screw it comics. Uh, yeah, what do you think about JM's work? What do you think about Spellbound? What do you think we should have asked? Got any advice for doing interviews in general? Um, <laughs> Or just anything about comics or anything we've talked about. Um, Upcoming for this podcast, we're going to be talking about John Byrne's run on Fantastic Four. We're going to be talking about Squadron Supreme. Love and Uh, Rockets. We're going to do a little bit on Love and Rockets comics. Not too much. Okay, I promise. I'm not going to go too crazy. Just a little bit. And uh, so if you have thoughts on any of those things, we'd we'd like to hear it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't have anything else to add. Do you, Will? I don't. I think we did an okay job. Great. Bye, uh, everybody. C-plus C, C here. C-plus. Uh, a great interview uh, by C-plus hosts. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics.